So from my experience aboard commercial flights, I have noticed that there are three moments of relief that seem to settle over the cabin. The first time happens after the takeoff is complete and that little fastened seatbelt light turns off. The final time is after you've landed and the plane has slowed down is, and is, is approaching the gate. Oh, we're there, great. The second time is what I want to focus on today and that is when the flight attendant says, may I get you a drink? <laughs> and so, you, know, you ask for juice or soda or coffee or water and you sit there with your drink and your child-sized portion of pretzels or peanuts in the other hand and for a moment, you feel normal. You forget that you're 35,000 feet above Earth. You forget that you are traveling about 500 miles per hour in a metal tube with 150 to 200 strangers. You forget that you have zero control of the plane or the other passengers, and you feel normal. Because it is normal to have a drink and a snack. It's human. Maybe during this time you engage your neighbor in conversation because we know one of the best times to have a conversation with a neighbor on a flight is during the beverage service. Maybe you ask if they're traveling for business or pleasure or if they're coming or going. I am very thankful for beverage services on planes because it reminds us of our shared humanity. It brings us together with the strangers on the airplane, even if just for a little bit. And this is what we're going to focus on today in our sermon, the practice of eating together. We are in the middle of a sermon series called Bless. This is a, an intentional evangelism series. Two weeks ago, Pastor Paul started the series with B, which is begin with prayer. And we started praying for our family members and our friends and our neighbors who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Last week, Pastor Paul talked about L, listening with care to others. We focused on the spiritual discipline of listening. And this week, we will focus on the practice of eating together and how God can use the practice of sharing food and conversation to help bring the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom to our lonely and lost world. And I use the word lonely on purpose because we live in a world of loneliness. Sure, we are all connected more than ever, right? The median user on Facebook has 200 friends. But are they really friends? I mean, like the kind of friend you can call and say, talk to me, I'm sad today, and I can't figure out why. And though there are many strengths to contemporary technology, the problem is often when we feel lonely, many of us turn to it to quell our loneliness, to fill that empty space, that desire for relationship that we were created with. But this is the problem. It does not work long term. We might wonder, are we getting worse at having deep friendships? This is a pretty valid question. In a column for the New York Times, David Brooks noted that in lives that are already crowded and stressful, it's easier to let banter crowd out emotional presence. Banter. You know what banter is, right? Crowding out true emotional presence. We all know how challenging it is to have a deep conversation over text or a constructive dialogue on social media. 
And we all know that there is deep value to seeing body language and hearing vocal inflection in real life conversations. But nevertheless, our loneliness is increasing and our number of close friends is decreasing. And this is demonstrated in many studies about this. In one, uh, in 1985, most Americans told pollsters that they had about three confidence, people they could share anything with. Today, the majority of people say they have about two. In 1985, 10% of Americans said they had no one that they could confide in, no one. But by the beginning of this century, 25% of people said they had no one to confide in, no one to share grief or sadness, or anxiety, or loneliness. And further studies report that loneliness is actually catchy. It's a little bit like a virus. Loneliness breeds more loneliness. So I wonder today about our character in the 19th chapter of Luke, Zacchaeus. I wonder if Zacchaeus felt lonely. I think he kind of did. You know, he was in an interesting situation. First, he was rich because he was a tax collector, and and everyone knew that tax collectors in the first century would take some for Rome, their job, and then some for themselves. It was textbook corruption. And everybody knew what was going on, and regular people like you and I couldn't stop it. But because Zacchaeus was essentially a robber, even though he was wealthy, he had low social status. And for poor Zacchaeus, it wasn't just low status, it was low stature too, because he was a pretty short dude. And so tall people like me, who were in a line to see a parade of Jesus, we could kind of shove him out. We wouldn't have to let him in. We could, for once, have the upper hand over this tax collector. So we can imagine, on the day Jesus was in Jericho, Zacchaeus' inability to see Jesus was not just circumstantial coincidence because he was short and he got there late. Nope. It was because he had no friends. This is key to the story. Zacchaeus' inability to see Jesus wasn't because he was short. It was because he was lonely. If he would have had friends, they would have shared the space. They would have moved over and let him in front. But we don't blame the crowd, right? I mean, for once, they get to stand up for themselves to this little pipsqueak. Maybe he has the tax power over us, we think, but we've got broader shoulders, and maybe we can accidentally knock him down. He deserves it. He deserves more, actually. But Zacchaeus here is really persistent. And then he disgraces himself further by climbing a tree, something a self-respecting grown man in a robe would never do. And lo and behold, Jesus stops and talks to him. Jesus greets Zacchaeus by name. And then he announces, uninvited, that he's going to come over. And this doesn't mean he's going to stop by in the front front porch and talk for a few minutes. No, this means dinner. This is a whole meal. This means Jesus is going to honor Zacchaeus with his presence. And this blows the crowd's mind. Really? Him? That jerk? The one in collusion with Rome who bought that gold latrine with the money I was planning on saving for my daughter's dowry? That one? And Jesus the respected teacher who we've been told continually eats with sinners and tax collectors adds another sinner to his list. He sits down and dines with Zacchaeus. Now, it doesn't exactly say this in the text, but it's understood. Stay at your house and then that Zacchaeus welcomes him are both references to hospitality. 
And Jesus' gesture toward, toward Zacchaeus changes Zacchaeus' life. Immediately, Zacchaeus starts to make his wrongs right. He gives away half his possessions, and, and he rectifies his previous fraud. And Zacchaeus, the man named Zacchaeus, gets called by name by Jesus. And he, in turn, calls Jesus by his name. He calls him Lord. And Jesus responds to Zacchaeus by calling him an even more honorable name than his own name. Jesus calls Zacchaeus a son of Abraham, the Abraham through whom God covenanted long ago to bless the world. Jesus calls Zacchaeus into the covenant of those who give out blessing, son of Abraham. When Jesus dines with people, it changes them. Now, it's not always all at once, like Zacchaeus, but this dining and changing marks part of Jesus' inauguration of God's kingdom. This is the kingdom where the powerful are brought down and the lowly are lifted up, maybe to a sycamore tree. This is the kingdom where the rich have been sent away and the hungry have been filled up. This is the kingdom Jesus preached about in Luke's Beatitudes, where the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the excluded are blessed, and the rich, the full, and the laughing are warned. And Zacchaeus, the rich, heeds this warning, and through his interaction with Jesus, his life is changed. He's no longer lonely. He's no longer greedy. He's generous. And this is the kingdom for people like Zacchaeus and Levi and a bunch of redneck shepherds and people with disabilities and lepers and sick servants and disciples who argue about who gets to sit in the boss's chair and disciples like Peter who lie and are in general fairly clueless and useless. This salvation Jesus invites Zacchaeus into isn't salvation for the future. It's salvation for now. It's a, this is a proclamation that Zacchaeus is restored to the community of God's people. Jesus says, today I must stay at your house. And then once he's there, he says, today salvation has come to this house. Not tomorrow, not after you die, now. The kingdom Jesus has been proclaiming is breaking in at the house of a tax collector. And this is how Jesus seeks and saves the lost, by going to the houses of the outcasts and the sinners and the lonely by saying, let's have lunch, by listening, by calling people out by name. And we can do this too. Through the power of the Spirit, we can model our lives after Jesus and eat with others. This might mean we have to start making sitting down to eat a priority. I know it's one in busy schedules that often gets pushed aside. This might mean we have to work through our emotional responses to food if we are afraid of it or view it as an enemy. This might mean we have to say no to some things so that we can say yes to the kind of lifestyle of hospitality Jesus modeled. You know, I think this kind of sounds fun. I mean, eating together is really a party, right? And this is where the whole business of being human happens, just like it's easier to talk to your neighbor on an airplane when you have a beverage in one hand and a quarter ounce packet of pretzels in the other, so too is it easier to talk with people when we're sharing food. This creates a common experience of delight because food is a gift of God and something to be enjoyed. You know, God could have, but he did not make us so that we would just eat a perfect, 
perfectly balanced goo of vitamins and minerals. God gave us artichokes and bok choy, daikon and eggplant, fry bread and granola, and this is a gift best enjoyed with others. This is such a privilege. In, the, in this initiative, we're not talking about something really hard or weird. Eating is something we do numerous times a day. Eating is natural. And despite all our differences throughout the whole world, we all eat. Everywhere I've lived and traveled, people like to talk about and enjoy food. Food is a common language. And so this week, I encourage you to find ways to eat with your friends and family members who don't know Jesus. And then eat with them. You know, it doesn't have to be hard. Perhaps you could invite a friend from work to have lunch with you. You could eat a brown bag lunch together and then go for a little walk. Invite a friend over for soup or bread and salad. Don't feel like your house has to be spotless. That's not part of this initiative. You don't have to be like Martha Stewart. If you'd rather go out, consider trying a new restaurant with a neighbor or friend that puts you kind of on the same playing field. Start thinking about Thanksgiving now and looking for people who don't have family they'll be spending it with. In her book, Eat with Joy, Redeeming God's Gift of Food, by Rachel Marie Stone, which I recommend if you're thinking about this kind of stuff. She says, eating with others and inviting people over and cooking for them in your house are things worth doing, and here's why. Because we need to take turns being guests and hosts, just like Jesus did. We need to go to awkward meals at other people's awkward, messy houses, and then have people come to our awkward, messy houses, because that's where grace comes to us, in the awkwardness and the mess. The truth is, though, I don't like it at all when I feel like people are trying to impress me with their perfect life or house or kids. It makes me afraid that if they really got to know me and my life and my house and my kids, they won't like me. None of us are perfect. All of us are way more like Zacchaeus than we are like Jesus. And like Zacchaeus, we all desire to be known and loved. And we cannot be known and loved when people think we're perfect. And so it's when we sit across the table from each other and listen that we learn to know each other and we grow in love. And this is the same love that Jesus had for Zacchaeus. Jesus knew everything there was about, to know about Zacchaeus. He knew about the golden latrine. He knew about the questions Zacchaeus had at night, the ones keeping him awake. Jesus knew the deep desire Zacchaeus had to see him and the deep guilt he carried because of his theft. I'm going to tell you a story about eating with others. My friend and my husband, also my friend, my husband Justin <laughs> and I have some very, very close friends who serve at the Pilsden community in Dorset, England. And we had the blessed opportunity to visit them this past May at their community farm where they serve as stewards. Pilsden is an intentional Christian community that offers refuge to people in crisis. The folks at Pilsden share a common life of prayer and hospitality and work. They provide an environment of acceptance and friendship where people can begin to rebuild their lives. And then on weekends, Pilsden opens its doors even more to wayfarers, men who in another generation would have been called hobos, and they offer a clean bed and a shower and several hot meals. The longer-term guests that travel to Pilsden to seek respite and recovery from addiction, from 
harmful, abusive relationships, and during times of extreme personal change. Many, most guests would not consider themselves Christians. And the prayer services that are offered are very sparsely attended. There's about four a day. But you know what isn't sparsely attended? The meals. And so through their time in the community, these people experience the hospitality of Christ through the service and peace of the Christians who live as stewards of the community. And the guests not only are served, they participate in the service and the work of the community. One of the highlights of my time there with Helen was working with her and one of the guests to make lunch for about 28 people. And as the three of us worked, we made pie crust for quiche and chopped vegetables. We mixed homemade dressing. And, and the guest briefly mentioned some of her challenges in recovery that day. And we listened. But we also worked because it was our responsibility to feed those who were serving in the garden, milking the cows, making the butter, and walking the pigs. Really, for real. <laughs> and though the challenges of eating and living together in the community are many, and I don't want to romanticize it, I don't think anyone there was lonely. And as we sat around the table that day, eating homemade bread with homemade butter, and to the delight of my host, I tried Marmite for the first time. Super gross. We laughed and were human together in the best sense of the word. What a blessed role model we have in Jesus. And what a simple invitation this is. Eat together. Follow Jesus and eat together. <laughs>